This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I want to tell you my secret now. I see Silent train is people! No, I am the father of all. What's in the box? You did it! You blew it up! Damn you all! Hello, and welcome to Slate's Spoiler Specials. I'm Karen Hahn, staff writer at Slate, and I'm joined by Slate's senior editor, Sam Adams. Welcome, Sam. Hello, Karen. So today we are spoiling Zack Snyder's Justice League, also known as the Snyder Cut. And I thought we should probably start by saying what we thought of the theatrical Joss Whedon release of this Justice League, if we remember much of it at all. Um, I had to sort of like, I've I've now rewatched both versions of it in the last week, which kind of, wow. I had to like get back in touch with my feelings about the original Justice League, which were basically none. Um, yeah, I mean, it seemed like a bad movie. It was weird to me that it was considered so like hated and like such a failure because it was not any worse to me than like Suicide Squad or any number of <laughs> like the line whereby like, you know, this is like when people hated Age of Ultron and I'm like, okay, I don't think it was great, but I was like the line where like that movie's lousy and like the first Avengers movie is amazing. Like, I don't, I, <laughs> I don't find that. So like Justice League was bad, but it didn't seem like categorically worse than a lot of other lousy recent comic book movies I've seen. Yeah, I really didn't remember much of Joss Whedon's uh, Justice League, but all I remember is thinking that I couldn't really make sense of a lot of what was going on with it, not because like the plot is confusing, but just because it looked very, like all the colors were the same on the screen. <laughs> and also the fact that the very Jossy humored didn't really seem to jive with anything that was going on in the movie, but I haven't rewatched the Joss Whedon version since it came out pretty much. So I still felt pretty fresh about the whole thing going into watching the Snyder Cut last week. I mean, it felt like a movie that even if you didn't know the history of Zack Snyder's version and kind of came into it, it just feels like a movie that doesn't fit together. It feels like a movie that yeah. was broken and somebody tried to fix. Um, and I guess based on the kind of reaction to it, I think we can say at this point, not successfully. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, okay. So I guess now we can dig into the Snyder cut itself. I guess we should talk basically like lay out the plot as it stands, even though there is kind of a lot of it and then talk about more what we thought of the whole movie. Um, so the movie starts, it picks up not too long after uh, Batman v Superman, which ended with the death of Superman to save humanity. And it opens basically with Bruce Wayne trying to put together the super team in anticipation of what he expects will happen now that Superman's gone. And now that there's kind of this kind of void in the super world. Uh, yeah, no, and I think if you want a sort of succinct explanation of like how the two versions differ. Um, Joss Whedon's version opens with this little sort of fake, you know, viral cell phone clip of these two kids coming up to Superman and talking to him on the street and be like, hey, Superman, we love you. You're so great. What do you like best about Earth? Um, Zack Snyder's version opens with literally Superman's death agonies 
echoing across the galaxy and awakening these ancient mother boxes, which will, you know, the villains are going to try to combine to like destroy all of Earth. Literally, the first shot of it is just like Superman with a big, you know, like piece of metal stuck through his chest, or I guess it's a kryptonite spear. Um, and then you just see these like shockwaves like pulsating outward from him. And it just cuts all around the globe into Atlantis and Themyscira, which is uh, Wonder Woman's homeland and everything. And it's all um, they're just pulsating through all these things. So that's really uh, a very straightforward advertisement about the kind of four hour movie experience that you were <laughs> in for here. Yeah, it sets the tone so quickly because like you literally see these like ripples cascading across the screen to visually represent Superman's death cry, which is so silly on one level, but Zack Snyder is so committed to it that it, it, for me at least, it completely works where I'm like, yeah, normally I would laugh at something like this, but I'm like, yes, I am in it for the long run, which we'll, <laughs> I guess we'll discuss our how we take to the Snyderverse um, later on. Well, and it's also one of those things where the movie just tells you like right away, like what you're in mm-hmm. for. And it's like, okay, if this just seems totally stupid to you, like just leave. Cause it's not, <laughs> that's the movie. It's not getting any better or any different than that. If you can like hang with that and maybe get into this very sort of heavy, like mythic uh, level that Zack Snyder's approaching this stuff on, then you're going to get a lot more of that. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about that a lot too, with regards to Batman v Superman, where the entire reason where I thought like that movie worked at all was because it's so committed to that Zack Snyder level of very like Gothic grandeur where everything is exaggerated. Everything is about like gods and Kings. There is not really there's not really room for like quippy stuff where like, because it's so committed to this big vision, like it either, it has to be on the level of like a huge tableau or sculpture or some kind of great work of art as it were. Yeah. The weird thing about this movie is I was actually uh, invited to the set like five years ago, I guess it was. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were at great, pains and I wrote about this as kind of like a you know an exercise in spin which is very obviously what it was you know they flew journalists out to England brought us to the set and they showed us uh, the scene which if you see in either version it's one of the few scenes is in both of Batman meeting the Flash and it's the one mm-hmm. where the Flash like tells him that he has this weird you know heat proof uh, suit made of like space shuttle material in his kind of underground lair because he's very into competitive ice dancing um, and first to himself as like a, a very attractive nice Jewish boy um, and they were at great pains to tell us like this, because the word was already out that like Zack Snyder's stuff was like a little bit over the top. People were getting a little tired of this, like just super grim and gritty version. And they're like, this version's going to be fun. Like the Justice League's going to be fun. Um, and it just very clearly like was not going to be fun. He was not making a fun movie. And the parts of it, even in this version that are fun, they feel like a bad version of Zack Snyder doing Joss Whedon. And somehow, like, the Whedon cut also feels like a bad version of Joss Whedon doing Joss Whedon. Um, It's like none of it actually fits together. Well, I mean, I would argue that the bits that are fun to me in the Snyder Cut are not the parts that are funny mm-hmm. or attempting to be funny. Like the the whole, like the bits in the Snyder Cut where I like want to like fist pump and you're like, yeah, yeah, like I love what's happening right now are like when Willem Dafoe shows up in a long wig and is like, take up your mother's trident. I'm like, this rules. Like, <laughs> yeah. I love this. I want to see four hours of this. 
Um, but we should recap a little bit more of the movie. Um, <laughs> <We> should, <yeah>. So, <laughs> so Bruce Wayne is trying to put together his super team. Only Wonder Woman is really on board. Aquaman doesn't want to do this. Um, the cyborg is just kind of still out there and seems reluctant. Flash, they're just having a hard time getting a hold of him. But when they do, he comes a, he comes aboard pretty easily. Um, so one of the big new additions to the Snyder Cut is fleshing out the cyborg's backstory where it, it, we already know that he was this high school student who was involved in an accident and his father brought him back to life sort of as the cyborg in an attempt to save his life. Um, and we get to see more of that in this movie along with more of his relationship with his father, which is a little testy. Um, like you see that his dad is just sort of not present for him when he is still human and prior to becoming the cyborg. Uh, the most of the rest of the broad beats of the movie stay the same, except for the fact that the villain in Whedon's Justice League, Steppenwolf, is now kind of a secondary antagonist, sort of, because Snyder Cut introduces Darkseid, who is Steppenwolf's old boss, who is kind of the ultimate big bad and will be the guy who brings about the apocalypse that Bruce Wayne is seeing in these visions that are present in the Whedon Cut and this cut as well. Right. I mean, there there is... It's weird because Zack Snyder had originally sort of envisioned this as like a two-part Justice League movie for DC. It had been cut down to a single movie even before he started shooting. But for some reason, this version restores like a tremendous amount of setup for a sequel that like if you thought Zack Snyder's completed cut of Justice League was never going to happen – um, the exponential not happeningness of like a sequel <laughs> to this movie is off the charts. And yet there's like huge chunks of this movie, especially this like big 20 minute epilogue that are just devoted to setting up this, this justice league Two that is never going to happen. But yeah, it is. Um, I guess we should say like it's divided into six parts. So if you were not, you know, you don't necessarily have to block out like an entire four hour evening <laughs> to watch the whole thing. You can, you can take your breaks and pause and, go pee or whatever it is you need to do. Um, yeah. And yeah. And as Karen was saying, it's still basically the same. Like there are these three kind of, you know, magical boxes that have like existed on earth for thousands of years. Um, have been buried. They've been reawakened by the death of, of Superman. And they've called out to Steppenwolf, like across the galaxy, who's going to join them in the ruins of this nuclear power plant in Russia and you know, basically turn the earth into a sort of fiery hellscape inhabited by lifeless parademons, uh, which is bad. (laughs) Yeah. um, Wouldn't be the ideal outcome from earth. Um, I will say though, like just based on the future apocalypse visions that Snyder puts into this movie, I, I sort of like, I don't want to see, but also I'm extremely interested in what that second part would be just because it's so visually disparate from literally everything else because it's just a desert wasteland. Batman has like steampunk goggles. I guess the Joker is there for some reason. Uh, There's no water anywhere. Deathstroke is now a good guy, I guess. And like- With a mohawk. Yeah, and it's just like- I don't know. That seems like the kind of thing where it seems so far removed from what you're seeing right now that I'm so curious in how that leap would occur. But I mean, we're not going to get to see it. So I guess it's not too much use um, in hypothesizing about it. Um, Also, because I do feel like that tag is maybe the weakest part of the movie. But just to wrap up the rest of the plot. So the mother boxes are awakened. Uh, In order to stop the giant aliens from taking over the Earth, Bruce Wayne and company decide that they need to resurrect Superman and try to do that with one of the last mother boxes that they have. 
Superman wakes up, but is sort of evil when he wakes up because he doesn't really have any memories of what happened. Lois Lane shows up to save the day. Superman recovers his memory. He joins the super team. They all fight Steppenwolf and defeat him. And the day is saved. And But is it? Yeah. It is. But <laughs> the, the broad arc of this movie, um, and it basically it is, as you said, Karen, like a lot of the pieces are in the same place. They're just much mm-hmm. farther apart. And there's much more like kind of stuff in between them. But the broad arc of this movie, this is a movie about the formation of the Justice League, right? So all the heroes mm-hmm. are kind of, they don't, they're not team players. They don't want to be in battles with each other. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And there are three kind of major battle sequences. There's one in Strikers Island, which is sort of this you know underground lair located between Metropolis and Gotham. Then there's this battle where Superman comes back to life and is doesn't remember who he is, and so he fights the Justice League. You know, it's five on one there. And then there is the big final battle against Steppenwolf, um, which is especially mm-hmm. in the Snyder Cut version very much kind of clearly involves like the sort of synchronized teamwork where like they all, yeah. you know, the three of them have to fight Steppenwolf and then Cyborg is going in and like trying to pull the mother, pull apart the mother boxes and Flash is running around to build up electricity to zap them with and eventually has to like reverse time because, which is- That was insane. Yes. I loved it. I <laughs> yeah. was like, this is so dumb. It's so good. Yes. I-, I can't believe that the like climax of this movie is man runs so fast that he turns back time and undoes the apocalypse. Yeah, which is which is canonically <laughs> like part of the Flash's powers, but is not in the Whedon version at all. Like they, they just, you know, they, they just kind of straight up save the day. And, it, and instead of like running around, building up an electrical charge and like turning back time, like the Flash is just running around saving this like random- Russian family who mm-hmm. happens to live near the nuclear power plant, which is was entirely an addition, is one of the things that people who hate the Joss Whedon Justice League hate the most about the Joss Whedon Justice League, mm. that stupid Russian family. I, I didn't know that there were degrees, but yeah, I mean, it felt a lot like they were trying to do, like, let's have our own X-Men speedster sequence, just because that went over so well. And I think it was X-Men Apocalypse, where Evan Peters runs around and everything else is in slow motion. And it is fun, but I, as I mentioned in my review, I feel like antithetical to what Zack Snyder's kind of trying to do, where it's like, there is a lot of silly stuff, but the appeal is not so much in saying like, oh, look how silly we're being a wink and more in terms of like, it is silly, but it's also so much fun. And it's just being pushed like to the nth degree. Yeah. Well, can you talk about this? Too? Because you write about in your review, which we should mention this headlined, actually the Snyder Cut is great. <laughs> um, you, I mean, you talk specifically about those two like speedster sequences. And I think there's like, an mm-hmm. int- you draw in like an interesting comparison there. So can you like flesh that out a little bit? Yeah, of course. Um, So like, as mentioned in the X-Men Apocalypse, the the scene is basically like everybody that Pietro like moves through uh, the school to get out of the way of an explosion, like all of them have like windblower face. And it's all just like funny where it's like, oh, look, like he's preventing this guy from like kissing a girl and it looks so gross because he's stuck in time, like with his tongue out or whatever. And it's just very like kind of cutesy funny. Whereas like this real, the big slow motion sequence Obviously, like, half of the Snyder Cut is in slow motion, which I love. But anyway, the big slow motion sequence for The Flash um, in the Snyder Cut is when he's saving Iris West, who will become his wife, um, as comic readers know, from a car crash. And everything's happening so slowly. But the idea isn't so much as, like, look how zany his powers are, but, like, look... the like slow motion is being used as a sort of way to express the way you feel when you see someone that you're like, Oh, I'm in love. I'm in love with this person. Like it's a, it's used to express emotional significance rather than purely for like a fun bit. 
Right. And there's a bit at the end of the movie to where Flash is like running, like right as he is, because the time travel thing or the time backwardsy thing or whatever it is, like he's, he's, it's breaking the rule. He says like, it's something he's not supposed to do because he doesn't really mm-hmm. understand the con- all the consequences of it, but he clearly realizes he, he needs to at this point. But mm-hmm. as he's like, you know, getting up to that point and he's in like the speed force, you know, he's got this blue lightning crackling all about him. He just like starts talking to his dad. At one point, and he's like, if I don't get out of this, dad, I want you to know that I was one Mm -hmm. of them, one of the best of the best. And it's like, who is he talking to? You know, but it's just like, that's one of those, like, if you're asking yourself that question at that point, like, you're not watching a Zack Snyder movie. Like, his movies are so (laughs) kind of macho and intense, but they're also so, like, over the top, like, sentimental, melodramatic. Like, he just loves that stuff. But before we talk about that, let's take a moment to hear from one of our sponsors. And we're back. They're very, very, very emotional is I think the bottom line where it's like you think of these kind of grim, dark movies and you just think like, oh, like they're so tough or whatever. But I think part of what makes the Snyder movies good is that all of this toughness is in service of characters that he's ultimately saying like are very human and are very fragile. Um, I think we discussed this like in a group chat recently, but like all the stares at the end are just like all about these people who are have fraught relationships with their dad. Like yeah. every single stinger is about family and about like not being able to talk to them or like not having appreciated them enough when they were alive and things like that. And it's all, it's very like very tender for a movie that is so, that is so much comprised of like people punching each other. Right. And I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, by and large what we've been told and you know, what does seem to be the case is this is basically a, you know, a finished version of the sort of four-hour assembly cut that Zack Snyder had on his laptop for three and a half years mm-hmm. or something. They said they've only shot one new scene, which I think is just the tag, like, all the way at the end with the Martian Manhunter or something, like the last, you know, couple of shots. I mean, you can tell because Ben Affleck looks, like, so much better. So like, he's in so much better shape, like, in that scene. It's yeah. kind of funny. That's like, yeah, that's like... Anity Armas, like daily Dunkin' Donuts run, Ben Affleck, like, just <laughs> feeling good. And, you know, um, but, you know, Part of the reason Zack Snyder left, and it's apparently a little more complicated than the initial story that put out, but is that his, you know, 17-year-old daughter died by suicide mm-hmm. while he was in post-production on this movie. And at that point, it was already falling apart, and they had brought in Joss Whedon to kind of oversee things and reshoot the movie. And Zack Snyder was just like, I I don't want to fight for this movie anymore. Like, this is – I have personal – tragedy and my family to deal with and I'm and I'm just leaving and that's um mm-hmm. what happened but now like the the framing of the end of this movie is this whole speech from uh Cyborg's father Silas Stone played by Joe Morton who love um and, he's and, so great yeah but he he kills himself to help the Justice League find Steppenwolf's lair um and he leaves behind this uh, little audio cassette message to his son which plays his voiceover over all these kind of you know, father, uh, parent, you know, reconciliation issues at the end. And it's all this like apology note from the father about like neglecting him and not being there for him and how proud he is of his son and um, Mm -hmm. what great hopes he has for him. And it's just, um, you know, the last thing you see on the screen here is the dedication to Zack Snyder's late daughter for Autumn, which he's also been Mm -hmm. using as a hashtag when he tweets about the movie. And it's very like, um, it's right there on the surface of this film, this apology from a father and, and, um, and basically the father who in this case kind of sacrifices himself so that his child can live. And I find that like, that's really moving and it's they're weird emotions to associate with this, you know, one on some levels a movie about like Superman chasing after magic boxes. But um, <laughs> it's, it's really like, I, you know, it gets me right there. Yeah. 
I, I mean, I think that's sort of where like the popular conception of versus what I think personally is Zack Snyder's movies tend to accomplish. Like that's where the general like miss is. Where, where, where what we think about now when we think about Zack Snyder films, like I think the popular assumption is again like very grim, dark, and it's all just like guys punching each other, which I think we mostly get from the fact that his big breakout was 300, right? Where that is kind of the seminal Snyder work where everything after that takes from that a little bit. And also that was a work that everyone has tried to copy since then. And I would say nobody has done successfully. Like, I don't think anybody can do this style of movie, but Zack Snyder, which is not to say like, I think that's what a director should be, but it's an accomplishment on his part that all his movies share this very distinctive set of sense. And that even those studios have tried to make more out of it. It just kind of hasn't worked. But things like Man of Steel, I think Man of Steel is the big thing that I'm thinking about where I think we also tend to classify that as sort of a grim, dark version of Superman. Whereas I find that an extremely like tender and moving film, especially the first half where Clark is kind of wrestling with the idea of becoming Superman and the fact that his very human um, foster parents are like, we, you, it's like so much response. They know that it's so much responsibility for one person to bear and they want him to be safe more than they necessarily want him to be Superman. Like, I really think that movie's great. And I feel sort of the same way about um, Batman versus Superman and this new Justice League, where we have an idea of what we think it is based on the fact that it's Zack Snyder's X, but when you actually like watch it and try to interrogate it a little more, you maybe get more out of it than necessarily the popular conception would be, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I, I, people are going to, you know, laugh at this and that's fine. But I, I mean, I think there are some really like genuinely interesting ideas floating around in here. And I think he's dealing with kind of the rock bottom nature of like who and what Superman is like maybe more directly mm-hmm. than anybody since like, you know, Richard Donner and Mario Puzo in the first movie. I mean, like, like Zack Snyder's Superman is an alien, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and like, okay, he sort of is, you know, pretending to be human to like, to, you know, get along with us and whatever, but he's just fundamentally um, a person who could destroy every person on earth at any minute and is only not yeah. doing it because he chooses not to. And, and like, and he never lets you forget that. And I think that that is, it's it's silly to talk about like truth when you're dealing with a situation like that, but that <laughs> but that seems like right or at least interesting to me to like that. I think there's a lot of meat there to explore if you choose to go down that road. No, I totally agree, and it's so it's well encapsulated by like when they when you see everyone else fighting Steppenwolf and they can't even like get through his armor, and then Superman shows up and he's so obviously OP. He just slices off one of Steppenwolf's horns, just punches him all over the place, lasers him like it's nothing. It's like, oh, like that's, and even all the other characters saying like, we think that the mother boxes only woke up after Superman was dead because they were afraid of how strong he is, which is a crazy thing to say about any character. Yeah, I mean, Steppenwolf wields, and this is, again, so Zack Snyder-y, but his big weapon in this movie is an axe that he, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of like a laser galactic axe that can like, <laughs> you know, smash open the earth and whatever, but it's a big, you know, medieval battle axe that he swings around. And at the very climax mm-hmm. of the movie, when Cyborg is about to just, dis- you know, disrupt the unity and Steppenwolf is kind of sidling up to him, like the, you know, little kid coming into that Zoom interview. Um <laughs> He just like, you know, the axe is coming right down on him and Superman just doinks right in front of him. The axe just like stops and Superman just Mm -hmm. goes, not 
impressed. And then he breathes his like cold breath on the axe and just punches right through it and shatters it. It's crazy. You think it's been like the ultimate weapon for three hours. And then he's just like, yeah, Mm -hmm. fuck this thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I I mean, yeah, the whole movie is sort of built around those kinds of insane moments where like, even like the reveals of like, although I will say I, I like, I like Steppenwolf more in this movie, mostly because I felt like bad for him. Because this explains more of why this movie explains a little bit more of like why he's doing this. It's not just like I want to take over worlds, but it's like I want to go back to my home world, and this is the only way that they will let me go back. Yeah, he sort of has daddy issues too. Although I guess canonically, Darkseid is like his nephew or something. If I've is that true? I, th- I, no I think idea. he is. I think he is Darkseid's <laughs> uncle or something, which is huh. weird to think of these like got new god characters like breeding somehow and having like brothers. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, but he has this, he like, I don't even think in the four hour version, they tell you what he did, but he did something wrong. He like, they betrayed just say, like he Dark- betrayed him. Yeah. yeah, that's all. Yeah. And so he's got to like, make it up to him. And he's like, please, daddy, dark side, like, let me back. I'm so sorry. I'm going <laughs> to conquer earth for you. And then we'll be cool. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he's sad and it, it's, I mean, it's fascinating. Like one thing that's really interesting is to have the opportunity to kind of like a b these two cuts i I realize a very limited number of people are going to want to actually put six hours into doing this um Mm. but like you just look at like the the entire character of steppenwolf because it's a entirely digital character like kieran hines does the voice but he is credited as a voice so the actual he was never on the set um and the entire character is like physically redesigned in the entire movie like he has this sort of like you know molten metal armor all over him in the snyder cut version of it that, that's I thought that just, was pretty cool yeah like the tiles keep like moving yeah and but you can just like you could just do that now you go into a movie and just be like we're gonna change the skin of this character in every mm-hmm. scene and you know joss whedon's character steppenwolf is also like a little more um quippy you know, he's, yeah, he's, he's a little more, yeah, I mean, just in a very, like, Whedon-y way. And then and <laughs> Snyder's, you know, Steppenwolf does not, there are no quips involved. He's there, there to, like, destroy Earth. No, I like him better now. He, also, he has these, like, big watery eyes that made me, that extra made me feel bad for him. Yes. He's He's kind of cute in this, I think. Yes. Darkseid, however, like, not super interesting to me as a character. Like, I feel for being... Who, who's ultimately the big dad of this movie, he doesn't really do that much. Like, Desaad is around more than Darkseid is. Yes. Um, and I, I love the fact that there are characters named, like, Darkseid and Desaad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's, I don't... Like, not ironically. <laughs> uh, there's a character, you have to know the lore or look in the credits to find mm-hmm. this, but there's also a character named Granny Goodness. Um, yeah. One of, another one of, like, Darkseid's henchmen and stuff. Um but but yeah, yeah, Darkseid is kind of the I mean, presumably there would have been more of it, but he's just like the big bad evil, like ultimately not that complicated or interesting character in this. I did like that at the end when the portal is closing on him so that he can't come to Earth anymore, they like basically just kick Steppenwolf's head through the portal. Yeah, the dark side. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting differences in this, as you mentioned, there's like a lot more Flash, a lot more Cyborg, like a, a good deal more Aquaman, all of whom are like new characters who are introduced in this movie. Yeah. Um, but also just the characters that carry over, like Zack Snyder's Diana Prince, Wonder Woman, is like very different from her. Like one of the things that he said, that they said on that set visit that then got passed around the internet and kind of made fun of was that her... You know, her uh, Wonder Woman armor, you know, which goes back like 5,000 years, had all these like notches on it from, you know, people hitting it with swords. And they said it was like Mm -hmm. sort of stained with the blood of her enemies or something. That was like the crimson color. (laughs) And that's like 
a little goofy, but it's like she is, you know, she like kills. She like straight up kills people. I mean, yeah, she, she's like, the one she cuts off Steppenwolf's head at the end of the movie, just like with her sword. Clean neck slice, you know? Yeah. But like also at the beginning of the movie where her introduction is like her foiling a group of terrorists, she like straight up kills some of those people. Like yeah. blood everywhere. She's just killing humans. Yes. Which I was like, oh, I don't know. what. Well, which is like, I guess what you get to do when you are Zack Snyder making this ultimate cut of your movie. But also like kind of shocking because like the Patty Jenkins Wonder Woman, if you like any of the other superhero movies that we've seen recently, seeing your hero do that seems like unthinkable. Well, and yeah, I mean, I think in Wonder Woman 1984, like no one dies in that entire right. movie. I mean, the, the first Wonder Woman's pretty gruesome. There's a lot of kind of World War One era, like people getting gassed in trenches kind of stuff. But the 84, the more recent one is really notable for being a, a superhero movie in which like nobody dies. Yeah. I will say, I, uh, watching this movie, watching the Snyder Cut made me realize how much I forgot about the first Wonder Woman, where I was like, oh yeah, like David Thewlis was in that movie, where he's like like deep faked into this as Ares again, which I was like, cool. Also, like this version of Zeus, I feel like looks a lot more like comics Hercules, but whatever. It was still cool to see him like flinging lightning everywhere. That flashback in general is nuts. It's just like 300, but in two minutes. Yeah. We should mention like one of the really expanded sequences in this, you get like, I think, you know, two or three or four minutes of it in the Whedon version, the sort of story mm -hmm. of the mother boxes being on earth for like 5,000 years and how the, you know, the warriors of earth, like united, like the justice league, wink, wink. Um, they were all these separate <laughs> tribes, but they united and they kicked dark side's ass, except dark side isn't even in this movie. So it's just it, it, in Whedon's version. So it's just Steppenwolf, but they all got together and kicked his ass and sent him like scurrying back to space. Um, and that's like, you know, in this like, yeah, 20 minutes of, um, you know, just legions like, like running at each other across like the barren plains mm -hmm. of earth. The Zeus character is like this sort of uh, some like, you know, Macedonian bodybuilder. He's like, you know, like putting his hands together and going and shooting these like lightning beams <laughs> at people and stuff. I mean, it's just, yeah. again, like so crazy and, and over the top. Um, but you know, that <laughs> again, like if, if, you know, it's goofy, but it's like, so it's so kind of silly and enjoyable in some ways. And it's like, if you're going to make a movie about a character named dark side, who is threatening to like take over yeah. the entire universe, like you kind of gotta like buy into that at some point, you can't really like quip your way around it. Yeah. I really, I just had one second during that whole exposition where I was like, if I was Bruce Wayne and somebody was trying to tell me this story, I'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? But at the same time, he's just met a woman who is immortal and all this other bullshit has happened. So maybe it's not too far out of the scope of imagination after all. I, I mean, I do, I think my favorite part of that sequence is uh, like a lot of those story beats that are kind of glossed over in the Whedon version, like make a little more sense in this one, than that, but there mm -hmm. are also some like, the, the whole dark side mythology turns around this thing called the anti-life equation, which it's which will somehow like allow him to like control all life in the universe, yada, yada, yada. And it was like hidden on Earth at some point. And then Darkseid got repelled and then apparently like just forgot where he left it until Steppenwolf <laughs> like stumbles on it. But I, if you go back, there's Wonder Woman has some line in the dialogue like, oh, it was anonymous among thousands of worlds. And it's like, how do you forget where you left the anti-life equation? <laughs> like, also, like, I, I mean, I I don't know anything about this in a comics context, but it just seems, it like, can't you, like, write it on paper? Like, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, 
this is not the thing to quibble about probably, but it was very much like, like it's, if it's something that you like, I don't know. I don't understand any of it. It's fine. I, I, (laughs) I'm not legitimately complaining about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's just that, but that's just like one of those things, like a lot of it I don't care about, but that, that part is just like, I'm just watching like, wait, how did he, how did he not know what this thing was? Like Like, serves you right. Dark side. Yeah. Like just keep track, (laughs) keep track of your shit, man. Yeah. Um, But, uh, let me ask, I mean, do you have like, is there anything from the weed and cut that you miss in this, Karen? Honestly, no. I, I barely remember the weed and cut. And I don't, I feel like Joss Whedon is just not as distinctive a filmmaker as Zack Snyder is, which is what, like the big thing that I like about Zack Snyder is like, you can watch a movie and know if it was directed by him. And there isn't really as much of that, I think, in the theatrical release. Yeah. I mean, I think the only thing that I miss is just like a certain... Um, kind of conciseness, dare dare I say? I mean, it's some of this is like I think if you if Zack Snyder had, it's just like if this movie had actually been released in theaters, like they would have cut you know forty minutes out of it anyway, just because like that's you know. And so there's stuff like one sequence that I kind of focused on, like there's a after Steppenwolf like attacks Themyscira and steals the mother box, that Themyscirans have to warn Diana Prince that like this thing is happening, oh, but yeah. they're not allowed to leave their island. So they have to shoot this kind of, you know, magical like centuries or millennia old fire arrow out into some shrine in, in Greece to like let her know. In the Whedon version, there's a shot of Connie Nielsen notching the bow, uh, like notching the bow and letting the arrow loose. And that's the sequence. In the Zack Snyder version, there are 21 shots of them like unboxing the arrow and carrying it out and cutting this and like staring at it and some line about like sky torches and whatever. And like this whole two minute sequence just kind of conveying that like this arrow is like old as hell and very important. Um, And I, you know, I enjoy that sort of like mythic weightiness on some level, but it's also like, you know, at a certain point you have to get to the fireworks factory. Yeah. Um, I, I think my only counter that would be like, I really think if you were watching this in a theater in IMAX, I don't know that you would notice the fact that time had bloated a little bit. Right. Like, because all these images are meant to be seen on an IMAX screen. They're meant to be consumed in like the biggest visual way possible. And it's hard for me not to watch, it was hard for me not to watch the screener and then not think if I watched this in a movie theater, like I would be absolutely losing my mind while I was watching this. Um, and I feel like it would have made for fun, like obviously this would never have released as it is into theaters because four hours is an insane amount of time. But I like it at four hours and I feel like it would have been fun as like a kind of roadshow movie in the same way that like the hateful eight was done right with it with an intermission and whatever and I mean yeah I think I mean once who knows when this is uh but I mean once theaters sort of actually like properly reopen and can Mm -hmm. be filled and stuff I can completely see them doing like you know a fathom events type like you know (laughs) once or twice you know, screenings and theaters being packed for that. I think, yeah, they tried mm-hmm. to release it as a conventional, like, you know, however many screenings you could fit into a day, maybe three, um, it would probably lose more money than the first Justice League. But I think as a sort of one off <laughs> event, I would be totally into doing that. It, it was funny that it has come out now really only because HBO Max, this new streaming service, like, needs stuff to fill in their, their whole goal for. 2021 since they don't have movie theaters is to get more subscribers to this thing but so it's also like coming out on streaming tv in the the sort of anti-imax of formats you know people are going to be watching this on on you know ipads and phones and uh laptops and 
whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know. That's just sort of the movie business in 2021, I guess. But it's funny. Yeah. It's also funny to think that suddenly, like, this is the thing that they're banking on because because of the fact that during production, it was so clear that they were like, we cannot this, we won't allow this. But now that they need something to fill that space and to bring subscribers are like, we will do it. I mean, obviously it is in part because of the fan reaction, but also sort of gets at one of the other things that I like about the Snyder Cut, which again is that it's a very singular artist's vision, whereas so many other big blockbusters today are so homogenous and so much a part of the big corporate factory that you don't really remember any of it after you leave the theater. Right. There is not like three seconds of this movie that you could watch and not know that Zack Snyder directed it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in a way, it's it's funny because, yeah, it did completely fail and it did come close to kind of tanking the whole – or maybe really did tank the whole DC Extended Universe. Like there have been sort of solo films, but the idea of having a big – Marvel style thing where they're releasing, you know, two or three movies a year and all building on each other is is kind of dead now. Um, but in a way, like the pressure's off. Like this isn't, you know, Zack Snyder isn't the sort of brand ambassador for for the DC universe anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can, because we know it's a dead end, kind of enjoy it more in that way. Yeah, I really wonder like what they're going to do after this because there really isn't a homogenous version of DC anymore, which I think is for the best. But then you have like Robert Pattinson, Batman, which is a totally new actor stepping into the role. Then you have like, they keep wanting to do more Wonder Woman movies, which is its own whatever thing. And then there's James Wan's Aquaman, which is like a Lisa Frank book come to life, which is incredible. But also not just totally unlike the other DC movies that exist. And in theory, like a Flash movie that has been through like, I don't, I don't even know how many sets of writers and directors and been pushed back yeah. year over year over year and uh, may or may not happen at, at some point. Um, yeah. Billy Crudup just left. So who knows anymore? Oh, man. Yeah. The poor Flash. I guess I guess Ezra <laughs> Miller is stuck in there. Also, he was like semi-canceled, if I remember correctly, but just like nothing too concrete has come of it. So, yeah. Yeah, but he's, I mean, his, between this and the Fantastic Beasts movie, he's not picking his franchises super well. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But this is a better franchise than Fantastic Beasts, I should, I want to (laughs) say. I would would agree with that, yes. (laughs) But yeah, I, I don't know. Just overall, the Snyder Cut is a movie that I do find myself in awe and admiration of like it's a it's an achievement that in not just in terms of the really unique circumstances that have led to its current release and the 70 million more dollars being poured into it but just as a kind of uncompromised like artistic vision although i guess there was one compromise which was that they just liked everyone speculating that harry lennox was martian manhunter so much that they just made him Martian Manhunter, which like good for him, I guess. Right. You love to see Martian Manhunter. Yeah. But like one, I mean, there, there's the first uh, scene between a meeting between Batman and Aquaman here when Aquaman kind of goes back into the ocean and Joss Whedon's version, he just like kind of, you know, fucks off into the ocean and swims away. Um, in the Zack Snyder version, there's, I think like a minute and a minute and a half of these like sort of hypnotically blonde like Norwegian people like singing yeah. a folk song as he goes and one of them actually like starts huffing the sweater that he left mm-hmm. behind um and it's just like you were you know that's like you're in it at that point like I don't know anybody else who would try to do that who would get away with that like it's just mm-hmm. um I mean it's very very idiosyncratic but if you are tired of all you know superhero movies kind of seeming the same and doing the same stuff like this is um this is not 
fall under that heading. Which is what makes it so great for me anyway, to me. A lot of things that I forgot. I, I like that Michael McElhatton is in this. I mean, there's so many like small parts where I'm like, I like that this actor is in this is pretty much all that I have to say about it. Where it's like, I like that Michael McElhatton is in this. I like that David Lewis is in this. I like that J.K. Simmons is in this. I'm glad that they got paid to be in this movie. They all look great. Yes. Um, and, and you mentioned Willem Dafoe and, and Amber Heard as Mira. Who has He's so good. He, Willem Dafoe is so good. Yes. I wish I like almost wish they hadn't changed Volko's character design to be a top knot because the long hair is, I, 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 I guess the long hair makes sense for Zack Snyder's version of Volko. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where he looks like Denethor, but like underwater. Right. And I, I believe Amber Heard like lost her English accent between movies yep. too. They also did away with the, like, you can only talk underwater if you're in an air bubble thing. A lot of things got scrapped, but they look cool in Justice League. Yes. Yeah. So it's a lot of like kind of dead end, some of them interesting, um, some of them less so. Um, and you can yeah. kind of see how, but it's again, like this really weirdly revealing glimpse into sort of like the long range planning of these like massive franchises that now control so much of the landscape and these little mm-hmm. you know, design tweaks that get made between movies. And um, in this case, between the same movie. Yeah. And kind of a pity ultimately well, almost like makes me sad to see this because it's so distinctive. Whereas like wonder woman, 1984, like I don't remember anything about that movie. It was like a very milk toast movie to me. Yeah, I remember like Kristen Wiig's like neon sweater dress, um, and that like the CG <laughs> and like the CG fights were really bad. And that's, that's yeah, about the it. CG was not good in that movie. Although I guess we're we're not spoiling Wonder Woman eighty eight nineteen eighty four, but <laughs> no, but but I you know this this the Snyder Cut does kind of undo a thought that I have been having because mm-hmm. um what, again like Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman eighty four is one of those things where it's like people loved the first movie and hated the second one. And I thought they were both like sort of different degrees of fine, but I didn't kind of understand how you could love the first one and then not love the second one. They didn't seem that different to me. And I was thinking, well, maybe just the fact that like we're watching these movies that are meant to be seen in theaters where like the light and the color and the sound kind of blows away. Like a lot of the, you know, not especially good, you know, like yeah. writing and, uh, you know, acting and directing and stuff. And maybe <laughs> just the fact that like these things are now debuting at like noon on your laptop is just going to, right. this is going to be year of realizing that a lot of these movies aren't really actually that good. They just look, they're just yeah. big and amazing. Um, yeah. But the Snyder cut is like, not only are debuting on our TV, but it's even like smaller than that. Cause it's this, you know, weird, like one, three, three, you know, Turner classic movies aspect ratio. Um, and still yeah. seems like a, you know, a big sturm and drangy, like rock and roll superhero movie. Yeah. I completely agree. That was exactly what I was going to say, where I was like, even though it is debuting in a non-theater setting, it's still extremely impressive to watch. It, it doesn't lose too much by not being seen that way. Like, I don't think there's, there would be as much smoke and mirrors in that sense, um, leading you to believe something that's good just because you saw it with Dolby surround sound or whatever. Um, and I was thinking about it in terms of, I saw Batman versus Superman in IMAX as Batman V Superman in IMAX as well. And I thought that was incredible. And it like, I, I don't, 
know what I'm getting at beyond like I wish that I had seen the Snyder Cut in a theater and just so many of the images are so made again like for the big screen like seeing things in IMAX is already an overwhelming experience no matter what the movie is but especially with Batman v Superman like the beginning is the child Bruce Wayne being lifted up into the air by a swarm of bats and that from that moment I was like yes (laughs) like I like this I'm in for this or you have like yeah like this like the Superman ship that's the size of like several square city blocks in this and whatever and just like yeah. you know you if you see it on a screen that's actually the size of several square city blocks that would be pretty cool it's impressive yeah I, I mean i guess we both landed on the page of the snyder cut it's pretty good it's, it's very surprising to me um because <laughs> i i nobody was kind of less enthusiastic to watch all four hours of this than <laughs> i was um but i i was really like kind of converted at some point and even the parts of it i uh-huh. think that are like silly or overblown is as you were saying karen like i would just I would rather see Zack Snyder's version of a Zack Snyder movie than Joss Whedon's version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are certainly things I would probably rather watch than either of those things. But it, it mm-hmm. did really kind of... He's a filmmaker that as much as I don't particularly like a lot of his movies, like I just find consistently interesting and distinctive. Mm-hmm. And this is um, all the interesting and distinctive parts of that, um, you know, turned up to 11. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to discuss this movie with you. Bye. And that's our show. Please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler Special Podcast feed. And if you like the show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. And for our Slate podcast listeners, help us make a better Slate by answering our survey. It'll only take a few minutes and you can find it at slate.com slash survey. Our producer is Morgan Flannery. For Sam Adams, I'm Karen Hahn. Thank you for listening. 